of offense. Hear the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and following. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as ye saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Father, may your spirit be in the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word. And all that we say and all that we do, we need you to pull back the veil from our eyes to better understand your truth. Please conform us to the image of your son more and more every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our study of Daniel, we looked more in detail to this imagery, this very rich imagery of this rock that crushes to dust this splendid statue. And then we're told it's the kingdom of God that destroys the kingdom of men, and then it fills the earth and takes its place. They become dust that gets tossed up and blown away. Right? There is no more. There is no legacy outside of Christ. Our good and wonderful Savior Jesus Christ gives us more detail into this, and he says that he is the stone, and you will either fall on the stone that is Christ and be undone to see your sin for what it is, deserving the death of the Son, and you will be, woe is me, you will say, or you will be under the rock as it crushes to dust his enemies. This event, there's an event that's being described. It's the event where God comes and establishes justice. The vengeance is mine. Those prayers are answered. It's called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is tightly connected to the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Of God. Scriptures make this tight theological connection for us. We're going to look more into that today. But before we do, remember that the good news of Jesus is the good news of the kingdom of God. So, what we've been saying the last couple of weeks is you can't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ rightly until you understand that it's the gospel of the kingdom. Of God. So you can't understand the gospel if you don't understand the kingdom. Now we're also going to say that you can't rightly understand the kingdom of God unless you have a right understanding of the day of the Lord, because that is the inauguration language of the kingdom. All right? So we could spend a long time, and it's actually worth doing, and I encourage you to spend time looking up the day of the Lord in your Bibles and spending time with it. You could also look up the phrase this day and that day. This day, this day, that day, that day. It, there's a reference to a day. 
That's all throughout scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. Specifically, to help us, we know that it is God visiting his creation in judgment of the wicked, reminding all nations that he is God. Now, uh, Isaiah 13 makes it clear that the destruction of the temple in 586 is a day of the Lord. How do we know that? Well, Isaiah 13 says, an oracle concerning Babylon, wail for the day of the Lord is near. There's something day of the Lord-ish happening with the destruction of the temple. However, the death of Jesus Christ is also described with reference to the day of the Lord. Joel 2.31 states that the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's from Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 mentions the day of the Lord multiple times. But specifically, that language is important because Peter uses that language in his sermon at Pentecost. And he applies it to Jesus. Now, let me quote to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. It says, exact quote from Joel. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the end of the quote from Joel. He continues, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. What a great passage. What a powerful passage. And it's no coincidence that in Matthew, the last three hours of Jesus on the cross, It says that the sky became dark. Joel 2.31, crystal clear, it's day of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, it's crystal clear. Joel was ultimately talking about Christ. Because Peter takes it in that great sermon where thousands were, that's the the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. It's, It's their marching orders. So there is day of the Lord. Just keep these things in your mind. And yet, there's more to it. There's more to it. Matthew chapter 24 is is part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus is talking about the end times. Lots of people spend a lot of time in this passage. Uh, Pastor Jeff Durbin spent about a year preaching hour and a half long sermons through Matthew chapter 24. So you could spend a lot of time in this chapter. Jesus has a lot to say about his kingdom and what it's like when his kingdom comes. And he says, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be on the alert. Be ready. You don't know what day the Lord is coming. And then 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us 
that the day of the Lord, it uses that specific language. Second Peter chapter three says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night where the heavens and earth will be destroyed by fire. And then God will build a new heaven and a new earth. So that's the kingdom of God realized. So what's that? That's his second coming called the day of the Lord. But I thought the day of the Lord was referencing Babylon and the destruction of Jerusalem. It was. I thought the day of the Lord was the death of Jesus. Yes. What's going on here? The day of the Lord, it's not a day. It's not a 24-hour period of time. The day of the Lord is an event. The day of the Lord is action from God with his people. And what we'll see here is we'll see that it's marked by at least two aspects. The first aspect of the day of the Lord is the judgment of God. Okay, the day of the Lord is the day of God's judgment. The judgment that's been stored up has come. Did Nebuchadnezzar destroy Jerusalem? Yes. Did God raise up Nebuchadnezzar to do it, to judge his people? Yes. But that is only to point us to Christ. That is only to point us to Christ. The destruction of the temple, the whole temple system was only in existence to point us to Christ. That's it. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, what does he drink? What in the garden is the cup that he refers to? It's the cup of the wrath of God. It's his judgment upon man that's been stored up. It's day of the Lord. Vengeance is mine. There are sins from thousands of years of you people sinning against me stored up and the thousands of years that are to come on earth. And there's a price to be paid. So God the Father visits his son with wrath and judgment on the cross to pay for our sins. And what is the second coming of Jesus marked by? A couple of things, but connected to judgment. Is that not the time where the enemies of Christ get baptized by fire? The gentle lamb, meek? is not returning as a meek, gentle lamb. He's coming, and the wrath of God is coming with him. Okay. So the day of the Lord is the concept of God bringing justice. And if you bring justice, that means you bring judgment and wrath, because there is no justice without the penalty being satisfied. There's a consequence to come. Day of the Lord. Second, though, with the day of the Lord, it's a day of deliverance. It's a day of deliverance for his people. Because in the midst of the judgment of God, he's come to save his people. We think of the imagery that we've we've mentioned a couple times of the, the saints who are who died, who were persecuted. Martyred for his word, begging for God to bring vengeance upon them. It's it's the redemption. It's the <clears throat> why why is it that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? 
Well, when the day of the Lord comes, that's done. The righteous will be burned up and God will reward his own. He'll take his sheep and the goats kind of language. He rewards his sheep. He holds us tight and he judges the goats. Every wrong is righted. Truly oppressed people celebrate when the wrong has been righted. The Beatitudes, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. Blessed are you who mourn. Why? Because it's not the time yet for all things to be made new. And now you're longing for the day that Jesus does return. Paul himself says, it's far better for me to see Christ. It's far better for me to see him. But for your sake, I'm going to stick around. So the day of the Lord, just simple, simple guidelines for us. It's a day of judgment and a day of deliverance. It's a day of blessing for his people and wrath for his enemies. Nobody can stand. Period. But there's something else about this day that uh, is the reason why we really needed to take our time with Amos one of Brother John's favorite chapters. We needed to spend time in Amos and help us understand the day of the Lord before we move on in Daniel. We need this concept of the kingdom of God and we need it desperately. We need to make sure we understand this because it it's a part of what Jesus says when he says some of the most terrible words you could ever hear. Think of the phrase out of Jesus's mouth. That would be the absolute worst phrase for us professing believers to hear. Depart from me. I never knew you. But Jesus, you don't understand. I I gave you my Sunday mornings my whole life. I sang your songs. Depart from me. I never knew you, Jesus will say. Those are harsh words. People will stand before Christ and expect to be welcomed. There are people who will die today and expect to be welcomed by Christ and will find out that they are those. So turn with me, please, to Amos chapter 5. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, and Ahab. In Amos chapter 5, you have, through his prophet, you have the God of the universe... Warning people to seek him. He says it multiple times. Seek me that you may live, for example, there at the end of verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, to his people, seek me. Why? Because the day of the Lord comes. Seek me. It goes on. I love the language. Verse 8. 
He who made Pleiades and Orion. What's he talking about? The stars. He who made the stars, who put the constellations not just in the sky. You understand why they look like things we recognize is because God thought it was beautiful to do so. We get to benefit from the beauty of God's imagination. The God who did all of that tells you to seek him that you may live. Who is the God who did that? Yahweh is his name. He alone is worthy to be praised. He is coming. He hates the iniquity that he sees in the land. And in fact, he sees sinners amidst his people. He sees it. He knows it. And he's coming. He sees that the sins are great. And it's time for him to come make all things right. Therefore, seek him. We know that when the Spirit of God moves inside of a man or woman to move and to seek after God, it's because God is working in them. You don't seek after God unless God wants to be found by you. And you don't want God unless he's already letting you know how beautiful he is. And your heart, in its wicked state, will not do that. Your heart is deceitfully wicked, and it will run away from God. So the word is to come seek him. Now, does it sound familiar, the idea of people professing to know God, and yet the sin in the camp? Does that sound like a current event headline? Do we not see that what's happening today is God judging not just America, but the world. Brother Scott and I were just talking this morning. If you didn't know that God actually gives nations madness and delusion, you would sit back and be so confused at what you see. How could how could we just accept as truth, 100% from what our government and our news is telling us today in America. But that seems to be, no one's even questioning anything anymore. What's going to happen is that innocent, we know nobody's innocent, but in terms of earthly perspective, innocent people in Ukraine are going to get chewed up and spit out. Christians are going to get persecuted and the wicked have plots to succeed. It happened in Afghanistan. It happened and is happening in Canada. It's happening all around the world. And if you don't think that it's the judgment of God, you're not reading the scriptures. You want to hear from the Lord? Read the word. The word tells you what is happening. He's been mocked. America has mocked him. We've talked about it. We've been a lawless people. And now that God's finally allowing us to eat the fruit of the tree that we've planted, that lawless fruit, we start bellyaching. This is us. And like they did back then, many today are longing for the day of the Lord. Back then, God's people were longing for, God, kill our adversaries. God, destroy the wicked. 
God, deliver us. Deliver us. Think about all the all the end times talk right now. What's the standard? Oh, I just can't wait for Jesus to return. I can't wait for Jesus to return. Who says that? Professing believers. Why do they say that? Because they see God's judgment on the land and they want to get out of Dodge. However, Amos 5, starting in verse 18, has important words for God's people. Starting in verse 18. Alas, you who are looking for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home, leans on his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me, the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikruth, your king, and Kiriam, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. There's an aspect of the day of the Lord that's hard to accept. For the very same people that out of one breath can ask for Jesus to come, for God to come in justice and judgment and deliverance. The very same people who could say those prayers, some of them are the very same people that are going to be judged when that king comes. They expected good. They expected light. But God rejected their festivals. He rejected their sacrifices. He couldn't even stand the sound of them. To use revelation language, they will be vomited out of his mouth. When Christ returns, will there even be found faith on the earth? The words of our Savior? What's going on? There is no justice in the land. That's why he says that righteousness flow. There's no justice. There's no righteousness. 
God's people have hands stained by blood and sin. And in one chorus, from sea to shining sea, the American church is asking Jesus to come. Look at look what happened to Israel. When God delivered them out of Egypt, they carried in their arms. See that language? They, they, they took the effort to carry with them the idols that they had made in rejection against God. They're holding idols in their hands. God, why are you letting us starve in the desert as they're holding on to their idols? God, we're thirsting to, to death. The carrying their wicked false gods that God told them was the reason why he judged Egypt in their hands. But as is so often with Israel, truly are we any different? Are we any better? If it not for Christ in us, we would be just as faithless. How many people, this is something we talk about a lot, Casey, how many people pray the Lord's Prayer this morning in America? How many institutions prayed the Lord's Prayer? You'll hear it in the Catholic Church. You'll hear it in a Methodist Church. You'll hear it in a Episcopal Church. You'll hear it in Presbyterian churches. You hear the Lord's Prayer. Maybe not all of them, but it's still said. It's still posted. Don't you understand? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are asking Jesus to come in righteousness upon his standard and to inflict his righteousness on the world. How many people who have prayed in their lifetime the Lord's Prayer? And think today that Jesus will welcome them. Will hear those words. Depart from me. The coming of Christ for so many will be a day of darkness and not a day of light. And not just as we envision the fireball blowing up the pride festival. That's what everybody can agree with. At that pro-life thing at the at the town, at the Right to Life rally, a guy came up to me and says, why are you over here talking to people? You should be talking to that group of people over there, pointing to the little pepper shaker people. I go, you're right. Someone needs to be talking to them over there. Go ahead. But in his mind, he's like, they deserve God's judgment. They deserve attention, not us. Why? Because we're doing something that we're supposed to do. Jesus will return to make all things right. And when he does, when he does, what will it be like? What will it be like for the person? Think about it. I truly believe. I don't, when, 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 when I get a chance to preach open air nowadays, I almost always talk about the last four words that every human being is going to speak before they go into eternity. According to Philippians, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Maybe not in English. To my English-speaking audience, Jesus Christ is Lord will be confessed out of your mouth. And we say that, right? But can you imagine what it will be like in that instant when they're standing before Christ? Let's say Christ does return and we're caught up and we're there with Jesus. And I don't know how time will work, but there will be people who won't be able to stand in the presence of Christ who expected to. They'll, they'll wonder why they are buried under the heat of his holiness and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and then open their eyes to see themselves in hell. I truly believe there will be many who are surprised on that day because I believe that's what Jesus teaches us. We live in a time of great apostasy. We know that there will be a great falling away and there is indeed. We need to allow this text and give it time with with the spirit to change us. Because there's a reason why we mention something like Amos 5 while we stand at a mill that kills babies. There's a reason why we do that. Is there any greater picture in America today of the bloody hands of the church that haven't repented over their own participation in the sacrifice of children and just the general rebellion against God that happens at these places on the one hand and then on the second of people agreeing that something bad is happening but that faith isn't producing any kind of work to go rescue Sometimes we can say phrases so much we forget what they mean. We say repent with us for a reason. Because each and every one of us who says that have been broken on our knees in tears over our own sin in regard to our own bloody hands. And it's a plea. Please repent with us. For your sake, Repent with us. For the baby's sake, repent with us. For the woman's sake, repent with us. For the father's sake, for the city's sake, for our nation, for our world, for the body of Christ, please repent with us because Jesus is coming and we know that hands are bloody. How much of American Christianity does God hate? Hate, mind you, not shrug off. He hates these things far more than we do. And his hate is perfect. And now let's look even into our bigger camp. The, I'm sorry, the smaller camp, but bigger than just us. What if? What if those who are committed to rescuing the preborn are still doing so in a manner that doesn't magnify Christ?
Right? What if? We've deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Because we've decided to make one act the basis of our righteousness. And our standing pure before Christ. I think we need to take 2 Corinthians 13.5 seriously. We need to take 2 Corinthians 13.5 seriously. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And then it's an exclamation point. Examine yourselves. The text yells at us. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? What is the test? Is Christ in you, and are you in Christ? That's the test. You fail the test, you're done. You fail the test, you need to drop on your face and repent. You fail the test, nothing you do will count. The day that you pray for, for Jesus Christ to return, will be the day of darkness and doom for you, for it's appointed for you to die once, and then comes the judgment. The day of the Lord will come to you like a thief in the night, and you who thought you were ready, you who thought you were ready, will hear the words, I never knew you. That's why the church has to be faithful inside and outside the walls. In here, we have to be okay challenging each other hard. Why? Because every single day, every single day, you have to remind yourself, today I'm in Christ Jesus. And today I pray that the Lord allows me to live my life worthy of the calling that I've received because I have nothing to offer but what Christ has accomplished for me. God, may I hate the things that you hate and love the things that you love, period, every day. Not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, not yesterday, not I'm going to do this in two weeks and that's going to be good for God. Today, today is the day of salvation that has to start here because we love each other too much to allow you to be asleep in the light. We love our brothers and sisters who labor in abolition too much to even risk them sleeping in the light because you can. You can. Why? Because the scriptures tell us to. Look at it this way from Revelation 21.8 when we talk about examining ourselves. The first that's tossed in the lake of fire Cowardly. And the unbelieving. The second is the unbelieving. Today, today, do you believe? Do you know? When you ask, when you have to answer that question, and I am seriously asking you this question. Do you ever doubt your salvation? Do you doubt whether or not Christ owns you? If you're human, you do. Because our heart, does it not lead us astray? 
What do you do when you doubt? You examine yourself and you ask yourself, am I in Christ? Is Christ my Lord and my Savior? Do I want to live for him and die for him? And does my life reflect that? Now, be careful with that last part. That's not a perfect reflection. Do you, I love the phrase, do you hate what God hates and love what God loves? Christ in you, that's what he does. He produces fruit. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, do you confess Christ as Lord? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Is he your king? And are you found in him, his spirit? His spirit will confirm it in you. That much I'm sure of. Because Christ keeps his own. And so your heart, you you may get confirmation, then your heart tries to go, but, 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 no. Be gone from me, Satan. Because I'm in Christ. There is no doubt. This is the life of assurance, friends. This is not the life of doubt. This is the life of assurance. Why? Because every day, every moment of every day, you end up having a bad day and you're laying down and go, man, am I even a Christian? What kind of day did I just have? Like if I die tonight in my sleep, I could go to hell. You could say that when you lay down. What do you do when you do that? Oh, Spirit of God, examine me. Am I in Christ? Yes. Yes, I know Christ is my King and my Lord. I know that he has paid the price for my sins. I'm in Christ. Tomorrow is a new day and I will live for him. And then maybe you say that a hundred times or a thousand times until you die. Right? We do that in the church so that we can do it out of the church. Why? Because there are, there are people, professing believers, who aren't even pausing long enough to assess their own condition. We hear that from you all the time. Right? Those whom Christ has set free is free indeed, and there is no worry. However, the day of the Lord will come. It will be darkness and light. There are some who think it will be light, and for them it will sadly be darkness. And that truth should drive us today. The day of the Lord is coming, and we will pray the day of the Lord comes. And we will look forward to the hastening and day of Christ our King returning. And let's pray that our lives reflect that reality, both inside and outside the church. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. And we pray now that as we spend time uh, singing and praising you, having the Lord's Supper, proclaiming the death of Christ until he returns. Father, may we do so with the boldness of a life examined and to be found in Christ on the rock. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.